one of the favorite pictures of my wife that, that, that she enjoys to see is out of Heart Cry magazine. And there's a little picture of a little mission church in Siberia. A little house, snow piled up to the windows, people sitting on the floor. You know they're freezing to death. But they are tuned in to God's word. And I know you're cold. Uh, we're joking about unclaimed freight. Nobody remembers that place, but they didn't have heat either. So I pray that you would um, put aside your thoughts about the cold and think thoughts about Christ and his word with me. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I feel a special uh, sense of the privilege of preaching today. I really do. After uh, what's been going on the last couple of weeks, I just I just have a heightened uh, heightened awareness of the privilege to stand here and represent Jesus Christ. He did not take his breath from me, and so I'm going to use it one more time to speak his words. And these are his words. These are the words of Jesus Christ. And I feel like a town crier. You know what that is? The guy that says, hear ye, hear ye. I really feel that today. And, and this, is a simple, this is a simple text. There's not a lot of deep theology here. Just some plain instructions on how, what sort of heart you should have from the one who has a heart unspeakable. And so I, I pray that you would give attention to these words. They're not mine, they're, they're his. And, I, and I'm just a messenger. This section in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount is about giving. And before we even look at that, I just want to ask one question about that personally for you. Do you give? And if you answer no to that, if you don't give, then I want to ask you why. Why don't you give? What's, what's your heart behind not giving? And if you do give, then I want to ask the question, why? Why do you give? Because Jesus is going to rip open your heart here and he's going to expose just how perverted we can be in something so simple. We can be so sinful. And so let's pray before we look at these words. Father in heaven, we call upon the one who put these words down on paper for us. God, I pray that by your spirit that you would expose hypocrisy here today in, in, in any of us, in all of us. And that you would kill it. You would expose it for what it is. You would expose how twisted we can be, Lord. And I pray that you would give us the heart of Christ to give 
to give of ourselves and to do it for your glory and nothing else. Give us a true desire to please you and you alone all the time, every time, every day that we would wake up and say, how can I please you, Lord? How can I please you in this? Every decision, how can I please you in this, Lord? Get our pleasure off ourselves and in you. Help me to preach your word. And be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are at the beginning of Matthew 6. A couple weeks ago, Dustin preached verse 1 and I'm on verse 2 about giving. And we were made aware last time that this is a new section in the Sermon on the Mount. But, but we see the same contrast that Jesus is doing. There's a contrast of righteousness. And that, that's been going on and it's going to continue going on in this section. Previously he was contrasting the righteousness of those in his kingdom versus the scribes and the Pharisees. This goes all the way back to verse 20, chapter 5, verse 20, when he says, Unless your righteousness, hey, citizens of my kingdom, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so as citizens of heaven, followers of Christ, we actually possess and should be demonstrating a greater righteousness. A righteousness that's not merely external, but one that's internal. An internal righteousness that produces external fruit. And he's been contrasting that first according to the standards of righteousness. Now there's a shift. So, so in, in chapter 5, he was contrasting interpretations of the law, the real and the right and the true and the spiritual interpretation of the law versus this lowered standard, this false interpretation by the Pharisees, these doctrinal, um, uh, he, he was exposing the right interpretations, right standards of the law. He says, you know, murdering it, just killing somebody. You got anger in your heart. You're a murderer. Adultery is not just sleeping with your neighbor's wife. If you've even looked with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. And he's done that six times. And now he's, he's shifting from these standards of righteousness to these practices of righteousness. Now, what we get into now are these three examples of that. He's going to give us three examples of practicing righteousness. And as we heard from Dustin a couple weeks ago, he starts us with this warning in verse 1. He says, beware. You need to beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. And we focused our, our attention on that word Beware. And then generally speaking, we're called to beware as Christians. We're called to be watchful over ourselves. We're supposed to live careful lives, intentional lives, purposeful lives to be devoted to the Lord and to bring Him glory. And now specifically, Jesus is going to give us examples about hypocrisy, warnings over hypocrisy. 
And he's going to do it just like he gave six examples previously of doctrine. He's now going to give us three examples of practice. And he's going to do so by, again, condemning the Pharisees. Condemning them in their externalism. He's going to expose these three religious practices, not as righteousness, but as damning. The way the Pharisees were doing it, they looked righteous, but they were damned because they were hypocrites. And so he's going to expose this hypocrisy in three practices. One, almsgiving. That's what we're talking about today. And then praying and then fasting. So I want, I want you to see that in the text. First, we have verse one, chapter six, verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. And then he goes, verse two. Thus, when you give. And then in verse five. And when you pray. And then in verse 16. And when you fast. And so we're going to hit those three examples today giving. And I want you to see also that every one of those three has a pattern. You know, before Jesus had a pattern in his six examples about the standard of righteousness. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And now there's a pattern here. He says, when you give or pray or fast, don't be like the hypocrites. They've received their reward. Instead, do it in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And that's the pattern. Whether it be giving today or prayer next time and fasting the next time, that's the pattern. And so see that pattern and see what we're talking about in this text. So let's read starting with verse 1 through verse 4. Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so before we jump too far into this, let's remember that this is a letter, this is a sermon from Christ to Christians. And so if you are a Christian here today, and you, if you are a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, then he's talking to you. He's talking to you. When you see these personal pronouns, you, he means you and me. He's talking directly to us. And so when he says, when you give to the needy, he's talking to us. And so the first thing that should jump out to you is the phrase, when you give, because Jesus doesn't say, if you give, this is always the point everybody makes when they preach this text, and you've got to make it. He doesn't say, if you give, he says, when you give, 
He says it twice. When you give, do not trumpet. When you give, give in secret. Later on, he's going to say, not if you pray, but when you pray. Not if you fast, but when you fast. And so this is not, hey man, if you ever decide to give, here's, here's a few do's and don'ts for you. It's not what's going on here. No, this is whenever you give, you know, every time you give, this is how you do it. And so, Jesus is not teaching us what to do. He's teaching us how to give. And more importantly, why? Why to give? Because giving is assumed by Jesus here. King Jesus assumes his people are giving. And he wants to make sure they're not like the Pharisees, but they're like him. And so he's already commanded. He said in, in chapter 5, verse 42, he says, Give. Give to the one who begs to you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And we see all through Scripture that there are these calls to give. To the people of God. There are calls and different categories of giving. In the Old Testament we see these various tithes. Tithing that is commanded in the Old Covenant. We see the Sabbath year. Every seventh year where the land owner would not plant the field. And so that whatever happened to spring up. That would be for the poor people. And then all the other years when you did plant. You didn't harvest the outside edges of your field. That was for the poor people. And you see giving commended by God, commended in the Psalms, commended in Proverbs, commended in the prophets. And then in the New Testament, we see clearly that Christians are expected to give. To give across a broad spectrum of categories. You, brother and sister in Christ, you are are expected to be giving to mercy ministry through the church, through the deacons. And to give to help other churches corporately, we see that. We see giving to help brothers and sisters in Christ individually. We see giving to support church leadership. We see giving to support church missions. So all throughout the Bible, God commands and expects and commends His people in giving. But here, Jesus is addressing something specific, a specific category of giving. He says, when you give to the needy, it says. The ESV, when you give to the needy, the NASB, when you give to the poor. Another version, whenever you give do charitable giving. And the King James says, when thou doest alms. And that's what we're talking about. Alms. Alms giving. The word literally means compassionateness. Compassionateness. An exercise of compassion. This, this was a big deal in Jerusalem. This was a big deal in Judaism. It, it's still a big deal 
in Judaism. This is one of the big three pillars of piety in Judaism. Almsgiving. And although Jesus, he's, he's condemning the Pharisees for their almsgiving, he is not condemning the practice. This is important to get here. He's condemning them, but he's not condemning the practice. He's condemning how they're doing it and why they're doing it. And he's fully expecting you, brother and sister in Christ, to be all about some almsgiving. He's expecting this to be part of our religious practice, as much a part as prayer and fasting, giving to the needy. When you give, not if, but when. And so this regular financial charity is part of normal Christian piety. Hear that. Like I think that's even written on the paper. See it. Regular financial charity is part of normal Christian piety. Now, where does this come from, this, this almsgiving? The most prominent text is Deuteronomy 15. Now, this is one place I do want us to turn today. Deuteronomy 15. It's not just here, but this is a favorite go-to for the Jews of Jesus' day. And as we read this Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, I want you to notice something here. If you understand what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to notice something here. That there's, a, there's more than an external duty here. All the way back in the Torah. All the way back here in Deuteronomy. There's more than an external duty here. And it's clear. It's not hidden. I mean, this command in Deuteronomy addresses the heart just like Jesus is addressing the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. Notice that as I read. It's all about the heart. It's always been about the heart. It's always been about the intent, the motivation, because God sees the heart. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within the land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care. Beware. Lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, well, the seventh year, the year of release is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. He'll reward you, that's what he's saying. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. You see, God hasn't changed. 
He sees the heart then. He sees the heart now. And although Jesus is addressing specifically these sins of hypocrisy in giving on the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to see real quick a few other takeaways, a few other principles of Christian giving that we can see right here in this text. One is that the foundation of our giving is God's giving. He said, you're about to go in the land that I gave you. Like Everything you produce is going to come from what I gave you. What, what do you have that you don't receive? The second thing you take away from this is a, a shut hand is caused by a hardened heart. You see that? Third thing to take away here is we're to give with an open hand sufficient for the need Whatever that may be. And then the fourth thing here is not giving is a, is a sin, but also to give grudgingly is a sin as well. And so motivation matters here. The heart matters here. All the way back here in Deuteronomy and all the way forward in the Sermon on the Mount. John Stott said about this section, he says, generosity is not enough. Our Lord is concerned with motivation and with the hidden thoughts of the heart. And so back to Matthew 6. What are the Pharisees doing here? How they find themselves in the crosshairs of Christ again. They're keeping the law, right? These guys are, these are the lawgivers. They're giving. They are. They're giving to the needy. That's what the letter of the law says. Matter of fact, apparently they loved doing this. They loved giving alms. They loved giving to the needy. This is a pillar of piety. I said this before. A pillar of piety in Jerusalem is this. And so Jesus is not condemning them for not giving. He's condemning them for how they give. And more importantly, why? Why they give? What's in their heart? And so this little paragraph is going to teach us how to give. The, the right way and the wrong way to give. And, and secondly, it's going to teach us why to give. The right motivation and the wrong motivation in our giving. So first, how? Remember, he's not teaching us to give. We know you're going to give, right? When you give, this is how. And first, he's going to warn us how not to give. And then he's going to command us the right way. All right? Chapter 6, verse 2, he says, When you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. And here's the first warning. Don't be a hypocrite. From the lips of Jesus Christ, do not be a hypocrite like these guys. And what are they doing? They're giving to the needy but man, they were making a production out of it. 
and making sure that everybody knew they were giving alms. Jesus says, don't do this. Don't be a hypocrite. Let me let you in on a little secret. Jesus hates hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? An actor? A performer? Somebody who pretends to be something else? Wears a mask? Puts on a show? In this case, putting on a show, pretending to be righteous, pretending to be generous. Like an actor, except all for the sake of applause. It's all about appearance. It's all about an appearance. It's all about optics. It's all about an appearance of, of righteousness. This public religion, but no real relationship with God. No heart to obey Him. No heart to serve Him. No heart to glorify Him. Only yourself. Jesus explains this perfectly. He gives the perfect definition of hypocrisy over in Matthew 23. Let me just read it to you. He's talking about the same people doing the same things here, but he's on them in chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. But within... You are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you look outwardly, you appear righteous to everybody, to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wait a minute, I'm keeping the law? I'm giving to the needy? Jesus is warning with eternal severity when you give to the needy, don't be a hypocrite. Don't trumpet your giving. Don't trumpet. This is how Jesus is describing their hypocrisy. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Now, I don't think that these guys were literally hiring a trumpeteer to walk before them when they go to give alms. I think Jesus, like he does so often, is giving this hyperbolic imagery. Look at how silly it is. And from the lips of God, this is what he sees. Trumpeting. This is what he sees. A big production. Ta-da! Look what I'm doing. Look, look at me. I just dropped some coins in the beggar's bag. See that? Man, you got to love Spurgeon too, by the way. This is a, listen to this from Spurgeon. He probably just made this up on the fly. I couldn't write this. I couldn't spend an hour to write this. He says, to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other is the posture of hypocrisy. This is what they were doing. They were broadcasting, trumpeting their giving. And they were making a big public display. Where? In the synagogues and in the streets, it says. And how would they have done that in the synagogue? Well, this almsgiving, again, big part of Judaism. It was so important, this religious, righteous 
practice. It was so important that all of a sudden the synagogues had begun to play a role in this, this centralization of almsgiving, sort of like what we have, one commentator says, sort of like what we have in our centralized welfare state. The synagogue had, had taken on this function, sort of like us, we just take everything to goodwill. Here you just go to the synagogue. And there's evidence in the Jewish writings of this day that a big donor would actually be announced in the synagogue. The congregation will tell of their acts of charity. Imagine that. How nice. What a wonderful, generous, righteous man that is. Or in the streets. Can you imagine this parade of the, all these decked out scribes and Pharisees, everybody thinking they're all righteous, them thinking they're all righteous, these haughty guys walking through in righteous robes, making their way through the streets of the marketplace or the temple, and they're ready to teach everybody the good commandments of the Lord. And so you take advantage of this teaching moment when you drop a couple of pennies in the tin cup, you quote the Torah. You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Ding, ding. This is the warning. Don't do that. Don't publicize your giving. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. But really, Jesus, who does this? Everybody. Do you know of a celebrity? Do you know of a rich person that has given a penny without a press release? You, you, you just flip through any social media, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you got photo op after photo op, storyline after storyline about so-and-so helped this disease, so-and-so visited the kid's hospital, so-and-so donated to this cause or that cause, and so-and-so bought the toys for every kid in the hometown, so-and-so left a $2,000 tip for the waitress that's struggling. What about us? Man, we're thankful. We ready, we got all this, made this food drive with all these cans. Hey, we, we bought a bunch of gift cards for Walmart. We want to give them out to our neighbors. Who wants to come go caroling with us? Hey, would you pray for so-and-so? Man, I've been helping them out. They really need some help. Just, man, it's just so easy to cross this line. So why would we do those things? Why would we do it like that? This is the crux of Jesus' warning. When you give, don't make it public. When you give, don't make it public. Instead, give in secret. Give in secret. That's the command. Look at verse 3. When they give, they sound a trumpet. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. 
Don't sound a trumpet. Be in secret. How secret? Your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. Now again, I think Jesus is using some hyperbolic imagery here because it's not that you need to blindfold your left hand so it doesn't see what your right hand's doing because hands don't have eyes. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, not only do you need to hide this given from everybody else, man, you almost need to hide it from yourself. We're not, we're not talking about blind trust. Well, let me just throw all my money in this pool and not see what happens to it. That would be unwise. Gee, guard yourself. Guard your heart here. What he's describing is absolute secrecy in giving. Can you handle that? Can you, can you give to the needy and not let a soul know about it? Nobody. How does it feel? This is the call. This is the commandment. Regular financial charity is supposed to be part of the normal Christian piety and it's supposed to be absolutely secret every single time. That's how. That's how you give in secret. Now why? Why? Because there's something underneath all this. Like, it's the motive. If you give, why? Why are you giving? What's your reason for doing it? What's your reason? What's your motive for giving? And your motive is going to determine whether you do it publicly or whether you do it privately. Now, before we even look at the right motive and the wrong motive, I want you to realize that both these motives actually, uh, they're actually the same. The motive behind the Pharisees trumpeting is the same as the motive behind the Christian doing it in secret. And this is, the, this is the similarity. Both are driven by this, a desire to be seen and a desire to be praised. That's what's driving this given, a desire to be seen. The difference is, by who? Who do you want to see? See. Who do you want to see? See you give. From where, from where do you want to hear praise? That's the difference. That's the only difference. The Pharisees and the rest of the world, for that matter, wants to be seen and praised by others. The born-again child of God wants to be seen and praised by their Father in heaven. The Pharisee wants the biggest audience possible. The more, the better. The Christian wants an audience of one. The Lord God Almighty. And so, we get the wrong motive and the right motive. The wrong motive is to be seen and praised by others. See that? Verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Verse 1, it says, so they may be seen by others. So this is why they gave to the poor. This is exactly why. They were to purchase applause. 
to please themselves, to glorify themselves. This is the heart of the actor, right? This is the heart of an actor. To pretend, the heart of the hypocrite, to pretend to wear the mask for applause. It's not to help the needy. It's to help self-esteem. And to help self-righteousness, self-congratulation. It's not to obey and glorify God. It's not to keep the law. This is why the hypocrites are lawless when they keep the law. Because it wasn't about obeying God. It wasn't about glorifying God. It's about exalting themselves and using God's law to do it. What appears to be an act of selflessness, Martin Lord Jones says, is actually very selfish. Think about it to give and tell, or to give for show, is simply to purchase the cheap applause of men. And God hates it. And guess what? That's all you're going to get. You want the cheap applause of men? That's what you're going to get what he says. They have received their reward. Their motivation was to, to give and be seen and praised by others. Jesus says they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And that's what they got and no more. Look at verse 2. It says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. This, this phrase literally means they've been paid in full. Paid in full. Look, you really need to understand what he's saying here. You really need to understand what Jesus is saying here. Because this hypocrisy has eternal consequences. Look up in verse 1. He says, they, they will have no, you will have no reward from your father. You've been paid in full. You got what you want. You want the praise of men? You got it. It's cheap and it's easy. They have received their reward and there is no reward from God. Please understand this. This is damnation language. Man, so many people hear something like this about you'll have no reward from your father and think, well, man, as long as I make it into heaven, I don't need the rewards, you know, as long as I just get there. There is no getting to heaven by the skin of your teeth. There is no rewardless entrance into the kingdom of God. This is the beautiful thing about God's grace. There is no rewardless entrance into heaven. There is only well done, good and faithful servant. Or cast that worthless servant out into darkness. When Jesus says they have received their reward, he ain't playing. He means it. Hypocrites have no reward from the Father because hypocrites go to hell. Hypocrites go to hell. Later on in Matthew, Jesus is not going to be so reserved in dealing with this situation, in dealing with these hypocrites, the ones who practice their righteousness just to be seen. In Matthew 23, he pronounces seven woes 
on the scribes and the Pharisees. He says stuff like, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you won't enter yourself. He says, you're a child of hell. He says, they're going to receive the, the greater condemnation. Jesus hates hypocrites. Hypocrites go to hell. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Giving to the needy for the praise of men makes you a hypocrite. And we're all guilty. But praise God, we're all, we, we've, we've been redeemed. And, and, and we're being sanctified. We, we've got this new and increasing motivation now. Not that old motivation that we've got to be seen. Because we've got a changed heart and a new spirit and a genuine faith. Christian giving is motivated by the right reward. And that is to be seen and praised by God. This is what we need to strive for. This is the contrast Jesus is making. The contrast between the world and the followers of Christ. When they give, man, they got a trumpet. When we give, we want God to see. We want to be seen, yeah, not by men. We want to be praised, not by men. We want to please our Father. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you to think about what Jesus is asking us to do. I want you to think about what Jesus is asking His people to do. Forego the praise of men. No, seriously. Forego all the accolades. Forego all the notoriety you could gain here. Instead, I want you to give in secret. You will be seen. You will be seen. Your father sees. God sees. Do you understand what he's asking us to do here? Believe. He's asking you to believe. See, posting your charity pictures on Facebook to see how many likes, likes you can get is demonstrating hypocrisy, not faith. But on the other hand, keeping it absolutely secret because you're absolutely convinced that God sees and rewards secret giving actually is an expression of faith. This is a matter of faith we're talking about here. You see why hypocrisy damns? Secret giving is an expression of genuine faith. Think about all the faith that is required in this little sentence here, this last little sentence Jesus gives us. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Chalked full of faith right there. 
This is, this is a call to faith. This is a call to look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. To, to obey Jesus in this text, in this little text here, to obey Jesus, you've got to believe that God exists. You've got to believe that God is actually your Father. You've you got to believe that God sees, that He sees everything, that He sees every penny, He sees every thought, He sees every motive. You've got to believe that, this, you really got to believe this, that this actually pleases God. You have to believe that this really, really pleases God. Doing this in absolute secret really pleases God. And you have to believe that it pleases God so much that he's going to reward you. It literally means to pay you back. God is going to pay you back. You see all that in that little sense? This is the motivation. This is the motivation for secret giving. This is the reward. God will be pleased with you. Somebody who doesn't know God can't. There's no thrill in that. But for the child of God, God will be pleased with you. God will reward you. God will reward secret giving. You see, there is no reward for giving. Only secret giving. Given, uh, giving that's driven by faith. Giving that's driven by the fact that God sees and God rewards. But how? Has, how does he reward me? Isn't that the faithless little question that pops in our mind? How will God reward me? Why don't you say that? Let's talk about that for a second. How's he going to reward me? And I think we ask that question because we're, we're trying to weigh the trade-off here. We're trying to weigh the trade-off. But answer this question for me. What is one smile from God worth? What is one smile from God worth? One smile from Jesus Christ. What's it worth to have the Lord's face shine upon you? Here's a guaranteed way to get that. Jesus says so. Give in secret, he says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I admit, there's no detailed explanation of the reward, but I want you to, to think about something. God's rewards to his people, they span time, past and present and future. So in one sense, there's this past reward that we've already received. God has already given us an inexpressible gift. That's, that's the phrase that Paul uses when he talks about Christian giving. When he talks about being a cheerful giver, he closes that section off and he grounds it in this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Is there a greater reward? 
And what did I contribute to that? What did I earn for that payback? Nothing but sin. And the one who died for me says, give it secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there is a sense in which we are operating here out of this just overwhelming spirit of indebtedness. Christian indebtedness. Not indebtedness like you would normally think. This, this, there's this joyful pain. There's this joyful pain on this infinite debt that you can never repay, nor do you have to because it's a gift. It's joyful serving of the Lord. Because it's a gift. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We give because we've been given much. But there's also a, a sense in which this is present tense rewards. He will reward you right now in the moment. And it comes back to the question, what is one smile from God worth? To do something as simple as just giving to the needy in total secrecy just because you know God sees it and is pleased. How great a reward is that right now in the moment? To know God is pleased. Do, don't underestimate the joy of this, brothers. Don't underestimate this real-time reward that God provides to His children. To say, Lord, nobody knows. I'm doing this for you. It pleases you. And I know it pleases you. Because you say so. Please God. But now, more than likely, what is mostly in, in view here is what is to come. This eschatological reward, rewards in eternity. Jesus is already talking about this. He's already talked about it in chapter 5. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. In a, in a couple of paragraphs, we're going to hear him talk about laying up treasures in heaven. This is one way. Towards the end of Matthew, when he talks about the day of judgment, he's going to talk about how come and inherit the kingdom of God because you gave to the needy. What might be the most incredible of all is that Jesus is really implying that we're, going to, we're seeking to be, be seen by God and praised by God. Praised by God. That is an absurd thought. That is an absurd thought. That I would be commended in any way by God. The Bible's not shy about this. Not shy at all. Talks about praise from God. Commendations from God. The, the, the tested genuine faith that results in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And my favorite comes from Jesus himself. Later on in Matthew, he's going to say to those, he's going to say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Can you imagine that? Jesus telling me, Jesus telling you, well done. What? It's that or cast him out. How? Commendation from the king of kings. And for what? But for simply being obedient. For simply expressing genuine faith. It was actually a gift from God. 
for simply walking in the good works that God created beforehand. And to end up with one of the greatest wards imaginable to see him face to face. Like the psalmist in Psalm 15, he says, Men of the world whose portion is in this life, that's door number one. Door number one. Portion is in this life only. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. This is the choice. This is the choice. Are you selfish for that? Are you selfish for God's reward? This giving is driven by selfishness. And there's actually three options here. Jesus talks about two. But there's actually three. You can be selfish for your own glory like the Pharisees and give in order to be seen. Or you can be selfish for your own money and not give it all. Or you can be selfish for God and selfish for his glory and give in secret. The last thing I want you to consider, last thing I want you to consider, just one question, one last question. Why does God do this? Why does God call us even to give to the needy in secret? And then why would he reward us for that? I have two suggestions. One is agency. And the other is representation. What I mean by agency is we are his agents. God is a God of purpose and a God of means. He does everything on purpose and he uses means to do everything he does on purpose. And we are his agents. Think about that. We are secret agents of God's grace. That's what's going on here. We're secret agents of God's grace. One of my favorite lines about God's common grace and God's kindness to all creatures is in Psalm 145. He says, the eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. Think about that. God opens his hand. And you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Every person on earth, every creature in the universe is utterly dependent upon God. Whether they know it or not. Whether they care or not. Whether they like it or not. Jesus has just told us. Don't you see the connection of what he just told us about God's common grace. He says God is the one who makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is what we call common grace. God's kindness to all. He opens his hand. He satisfies them all. But God doesn't have a hand. My wife has a bird feeder out on our back porch. And man, every day when she has seeds in there, the birds flock to that bird feeder. Who's feeding those birds? Tony or God? Uh, Yeah, they are. You see that? Who's feeding the poor? Who's giving to the needy? Generous people 
or God? Yes, indeed, indeed. Now think about that. Charity is a means of God's grace. Whether it's the Pharisees doing it or the disciples of Christ doing it. Whether it's Bill Gates and his press releases about curing malaria or if it's you secretly helping one person in need. God's doing that. God's doing that. We are agents for his purposes. So what are you doing when you trumpet your giving? Robbing glory from God. He's doing it. And you're trying to rob the glory from him for yourself. What do you do when you give in secret? Maximizing his glory. You're a secret agent of God's grace. And let me tell you something. Even in absolute secrecy, they will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And who knows? Sometimes when you're this secret agent of common grace, it actually turns into an agent of saving grace as you give them what they really need. As you take that principle from Deuteronomy 15 and make sure that you give them what they need, you give them the gospel. Who knows? Perhaps God may grant them repentance. And you'll be the agent for that. And the last thing is that not only are we agents of these purposes, but we are represent, we're representatives of Jesus. We're representatives of God. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for the gospel. We are living images of God. Living images of Christ. John Stott says, Our giving is God's own love expressed through man. This is godliness. This is God-likeness. To give and expect nothing in return. To give even to the ungrateful. We're representing God. We're, we're being merciful like God has been merciful to us. We're, this secret giving ends up being a picture. A living picture of the gospel. God gave us what we needed. Atonement. Forgiveness. Redemption. Not wealth and houses and cars. He didn't give grudgingly. He didn't, hold, he didn't hold back. He gave a gift more precious than gold. The blood of His Son. Jesus, the one who came into the world to save sinners. He didn't hold back. He didn't hold back. He gave Himself. He gave sacrificially. He gave His life. John puts these two things together. He says... By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does he know the love of God? Let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And He gave it. He gave all this to the most ungrateful people. The most ungrateful, the chief of sinners, the enemies. Even while we were enemies, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He reconciled us to himself by the death of his son. So how, why would that need to be a requirement to give? That someone would be grateful. You weren't. You are now. 
Can you spare some change? Can you do it for the gospel and for the glory of God? Robert Murray McShane says, What would have become of us if Christ had been of saving of his blood as some men are of their money? In the words of J.C. Ryle, a giving Savior should have giving disciples. And that's, that's what this whole thing boils down to. Jesus says give. Give to the needy. Give in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, We need more help from you. We want to please you, Lord. I pray that you would make this the um, make this such a reality in our hearts that you do see us. You see our hearts. Pray you would give us the right motivation. I pray that we would wake up every day and ask the question: What can I do, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? To please you. You are worthy of our life, our breath, and every red cent you've given us. Help us to be open-handed. And help us to do it in total secrecy just to please you. Thank you for your inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.